All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts, and here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard, hope things are well with you wherever you are today. Had a big day yesterday on campus as Mississippi State officially announces Nikki McCray-Penson as the eighth women's basketball coach in Mississippi State history. We're going to get into some of that today, some of the things that were said, some of the things that were done, and we'll kind of move forward with all of that. And so uh, looking forward to kind of Moving into a new era of Mississippi State athletics with uh, with Coach Nikki, and uh, it's one of those things too. We've talked extensively about her resume here on the show, but today I'm going to share with you some things that we've learned. Uh, Robbie Falk interviewed Don Staley yesterday. How about that? How about that? Don Staley, of course, longtime friend and coach with Nikki McCray-Penson. So we've got some insight. We're going to talk about that. You can read that article in its entirety over on jeanspage.com. It is a free article. You don't have to be a member, but you should be a member. 
And we'll get into some of the things John Cohen and Nikki McRae said. Also, too, I, I've had several people that have reached out and said, you know, Steve, tell us about some of the you know the top players that you've seen, top games you've seen covering recruiting these years. And I've got some good ones. I sat down today and I kind of made a list of some games that really stand out in my mind. And one of the things that I've learned is when you have to spend a lot of time remembering and researching, the game really wasn't that impactful. You know, if you, I, I can give you five or six right off the top of my head. What's the best individual performance you've ever seen? I can shoot it out for you just like that. Because you remember those moments. You remember when you see people really kind of elevate their play. Uh, and you know, the, the, the triumph of the human spirit. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that uh, I have had the opportunity through this wonderful job to see some incredible athletes play. I've seen some incredible athletes do some incredible things and incredible moments, and I remember those. They stay with you. We're going to talk about some of that today. Also, a fresh top ten list. Get a lot of suggestions. You guys keep them coming. I can't get to all of them. I'll do my best. And a lot of times, so I had somebody recommend that I do uh, what I'd already done recently, so I had to reference that episode for them. But uh, yeah, we're going to get together and we're going to get these things through. And well, I think we found a pretty good groove here. Then we've had a pretty good group. I think uh, you know we, we're we're in a pretty good spot right now with where we are, Mississippi State Athletics, and we're still kind of waiting for everybody else. Of course, there is some discussion. The PGA is going to resume play in June. There won't be many spectators, but they're going to begin to start playing again. That's good news. There are some committees out there that are being formed about you know to kind of get America going again. That needs to happen. That needs to happen. Not at the expense of anybody's life or anything like that, but that needs to happen. You, know, you can read and f- hear just about anything you want to hear when it comes to this virus. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time talking virus around here, but uh, I, I am optimistic that we're going to have football this year. I know some other people and, and people sensationalize these comments. It may not be in the way that we've had it in years past, but I, you know, it, it's too important. It's too important. I mean, it would essentially bankrupt the the country if we didn't have football. When you begin to think it through, think about what would happen to college programs and athletic departments around the country. They'd be bankrupt. They would absolutely be bankrupt. You can't, oh, we've got a TV contract. You can't put a game on TV. Well, you're a breach of contract. I mean, ESPN doesn't just give the SEC that money because they like the SEC. You've got to provide programming. You've got to be able to provide programming that allows them to sell advertising. It, it's, it costs millions and millions of dollars. We're going to have football in some form or fashion this year. I'm confident of that. Now, like everybody else, my opinion in 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee at the truck stop. But there are a lot of doom and gloomers out there. I mean, we're four months away. It's, well, you know, it takes a long time to get everybody. Listen, it may not be great football, but we're going to play football. I think the PGA is probably that's probably a positive step to kind of get going. I think we slowly introduce things. A lot of discussions, of course, about a virus uh, vaccine being available in several months, possibly by the end of the year. And so this fall will likely be different. And then we'll take some other steps medically to kind of move forward. But, uh, you know, we can't just sit at home for the duration. You know, at some point, we've got to be able to resume life. And I'll be honest with you, as much as I enjoy being home and writing and Writing takes me places, and uh, it's very therapeutic for me. This this is not living. This, this is absolutely not living. And that's one of the things you begin to think about. What's well, better than the alternative? And that's true. 
but we cannot continue to sit at a standstill economically and expect the country to remain afloat. And it's not just the United States, it's all around the world. At some point, we're going to have to get back, and there, there are going to be some setbacks, and there's going to be people that are critical, and there's, there's never a way to satisfy some people. But the bottom line is, is that uh, not having football, not having false sports, would be a crippling blow to our collective psyche and to our economic wherewithal. It's as simple as that. They're going to find a way to have football. Rest assured, they will figure it out. Whether it's in the spring, whether it's in the fall, whether it's an abbreviated schedule, whether it's played without fans, we're going to have football. I'm confident of that. Our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show, they're doing great work. They're doing their best to provide a, a, a very needed service here in the greater Starkville area as well as Tupelo, and that's to provide you with the great restaurant-quality hamburger. The, uh, the new family special, I understand, is, is going like gangbusters. I've had multiple people say, hey, Steve, thanks for mentioning that on the show. Number one, I didn't know they were still open doing business. And number two, it's a great value. The new family special of Bulldog Burger Company is four Bulldog Burgers. That's the, the signature burger, the Bulldog. You get four of those, four orders of fries, and a gallon of sweet tea for $29.95. You can't beat it. It's a great value. It's a great product. It's great food. The kids will like it. Mom needs a night off anyway. I think it's always a great time when you can give mom, say, you know what, mom? Don't worry about dinner. We got it tonight. Just come on home, relax, put your feet up, and enjoy the great restaurant-quality hamburger that is Bulldog Burger Company. Now, we're two locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Starkville on Gloucester Street in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So, let's jump into Nikki McCray stuff. Pence and Nikki, all, all due respect to her husband, Thomas. Uh, so they had the press conference. It was a virtual press conference. It's the first of those in my lifetime. And so there are a few things that were said yesterday. Of course, John Cohen had several comments. And, uh, you know, and you can watch that. We have it over on Gene's page. And, again, it's a free article. You can watch the press conference in its entirety. We have that embedded for you in an article. It says watch. Watch. Nikki Pinson McRae, Nikki McRae Pinson press conference. But here are a few highlights. John Cohen made a great comment. Uh, I thought really, you know, kind of a kind of a tip of the cap to the past. And he goes, when you're looking around the country, and the same folks are saying the same thing about one candidate, it becomes apparent that she's special. The only person that I didn't get a chance to talk to that I wish I would was Pat Summit. And uh, the thing that I remember about the whole Pat Summit thing is, uh, and I, we mentioned this on the show Monday, is the Tennessee Lady Vols, they were what everybody else wanted to be. You know, I remember, you know, I guess in the uh, late 80s, the Lady Texters of Louisiana Tech were kind of running women's college basketball, and really women's college basketball was still in its infancy back then. And uh, so Pat Summit takes it to levels that were not believed to be possible. Then Nikki McRae was part of that ascent. She was part of what made women's basketball a marketable sport around the country. The quality of play that the Lady Balls put on the floor was unlike anything else. And so Nikki was a big part of that program. And when I began to think about, you know, the you know the, the fingerprints. You know, Pat Summit. 
you know, there's a reason we still have the you know the Pat Summit you know standing with Pat game I guess is what it's called but uh, you know we pay homage to Pat Summit every single year at women's basketball games around the country it's because she was such a pioneer and the fact that she was able to sow some seeds in Nikki McRae I think is something Mississippi State will benefit from. We get a little deeper into what uh, Nikki McRae Pinson herself said. My team's identity will be similar to how I played the game. That's music to my ears. I'm sure it is to you as well. I did the little things, and I take a lot of pride in that. We're going to play very fast, and we have an identity when we step on the court, and teams are going to know that. I want the team to play how I played, play it hard, play it exciting. We Mississippi State fans have kind of grown accustomed to winning in women's basketball. And again, the, the fact that there's so much interest in this job is a tribute to the job that Big Schaefer did and his staff. Tremendous job there. And I don't know if you attract a coaching candidate with the resume of, uh, of Nikki without Big Schaefer coming here. You know, maybe. And I understand. I had somebody tell me recently that Sharon Fanning tried to hire Nikki several years ago when she ultimately got the job at South Carolina. And so there, there's some connections there. But I think Nikki also understands the expectations here are very, very high. It's because Vic, Vic set the bar pretty high, and then Mississippi State fans responded and supported women's basketball like never before. Like never before. The recruiting efforts that have taken place over the last several years have stocked the roster full of very talented players. I had somebody very close to Vic Schaefer tell me last night that Vic has told him for the better part of the year that the roster for next season could be and would likely be the most talented roster he ever had at any point in his career. And so now Nikki will kind of take over that roster and she may kind of reaches that, you know, that same conclusion about the talent level here at Mississippi State. And here's her quote, obviously the cupboard is not bare. Everybody played, and to me, they have the experience of what it takes to compete and win in the SEC. They had that experience coming back is refreshing. The program is one of the best programs in the country. When I pick up the phone and I say I'm going to coach at Mississippi State, they know who we are. This program has so much tradition and history where they won. It's been really good to see the growth of women's basketball across the country. It's very popular, and everyone in the country knows Mississippi State basketball. And that's true. Every bit of that is true. One of the things that I shared with you guys here a couple weeks back is I expect Mississippi State to win the SEC next year. I'm not backing off of that. People said, but Steve, but Steve, South Carolina. You know what? South Carolina still, they're not going to be able to bring back Kiki Herbert Harrigan and, and uh, Ty Harris. That's two of the better players in the country. We're going to return a very hungry roster that finished second in the SEC that very likely will be able to compete with South Carolina head-to-head -head and probably beat them. We, we could have beaten them this year. You remember we had a, uh, had a tough day in the SEC tournament, but we went to Columbia. We played them pretty well. I also know that uh, you know, Don Staley, of course, is a tremendous competitor. We'll get their best effort, but when you begin to look at the talent level between the two schools, it's, it's going to be pretty even next year. And how that schedule kind of rolls out, I think, is important. But uh, I think Mississippi State, from a talent standpoint, was surging in the right direction. I mean, we, we've, we've become accustomed 
the Mississippi State recruiting nationally. And then you've got, you know, Madison Hayes coming in this year. And so, you know, you begin to think, okay, Nikki has a chance to really hit the ground running. So let's hear what Don Staley had to say. Let's talk, let's look at what Don had to say about Nikki showing up and, and uh, being able to compete in the SEC. Yeah, and Robbie and I talked last week, you know, about the possibility of reaching out to Don Staley should this job work out. And uh, tip of the cap to him for making that happen. I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm curious about what Don Staley has to say. I think Don Staley is arguably the best coach in the country right now. So here are some of the things that uh, Don had to say. And again, you can read this article in its entirety over on Gene's page. Again, it is a free article. She begins with, Nikki is a friend first and foremost. She was a teammate, and I saw how hard she worked as a player. When you try to change a culture and the outlook, you want solid people who are grounded. Nikki had some experience as an assistant coach at Western Kentucky, and we had gone to war winning two Olympic gold medals together, and our relationship was strong. It was a great mix. She gets a little deeper into uh, their time at South Carolina, you know, because Nikki was you know, a huge part of that program over there. And this, this is one of the things that I thought that this was one of the comments that really jumped out to me. We compared our scouting reports to other people across the country. There wasn't anything that got by us. She knew people's systems better than they did. I remember playing against Melanie Balcom at Vanderbilt. Nikki knew her system and would call it out on a bench. Once we started to get that stuff implemented, that's when we started beating teams we hadn't normally beaten. And she's talking about the infancy of the, the turnaround of South Carolina. And so now we're, uh, you know, <laughs> We're talking about that talent level, right? You know, we all know what we have in the locker room of Mississippi State. Well, here's what Don Staley had to say about Mississippi State's talent level and about how the situation that she inherited in South Carolina, much different than what Nikki's inheriting here at Mississippi State. <clears throat> Quote, we had nothing at South Carolina. The cupboards are bare at South Carolina. It's not bare at Mississippi State. It comes with a different kind of pressure. Vic built a national powerhouse. So she's got to make sure that she keeps those fans happy by winning, and she'll do that. She'll make the people in Starkville happy. Those are the things that fire me up. Because of the fact that you go out and you get somebody that is very accomplished as a player and a coach that will know how to use this talent. Here's the mistake that I think Joe Moorhead made when he showed up. And, of course, we're still very early in this process with Nikki. But, you know, talking to some people who have been in contact with her, she has shown up with a little different approach. I think there was a lot of jilted lover in many of us when Dan Mullen left and Joe Moorhead got here. And so when Joe would do and say certain things that uh, could but kind of be misconstrued as uh, the whole deal about, uh, you know, maybe talking a little trash. And so, you know, people would say, hey, you know, I think we might have even upgraded. You know, and, and in, in hindsight, that all seems real foolhardy, doesn't it? You look back and say, oh, come on, what were we thinking? I mean, do we really think we'd upgraded? I mean, yeah, we were all mad. We were bitter. And Dan had left us for Florida, which is something we always worried about. And he left us for Scott Strickland. You know, so there was all this talk about, you know, these guys are traitors. We were so good to them. 
And so now we've gotten Joe, and Joe is more better of X's and O's guys, and Dan, and he'll play to win, and he won't be out here being silly. And and so Joe came in, and I think he was somewhat emboldened by our bitterness, our collective bitterness. I think kind of fueled him to think, well, I'll show these people. We'll change this, and we'll change that. And the bottom line is, we didn't need much change, Joe. We didn't. The culture was already here. We already had good culture here at Mississippi State. We had kids that understood you had to work hard. And that was one of those things that we talked about extensively under Dan Mullen. It's even on official visits, Dan would tell them, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you, everybody else is going to tell you how great the party's going to be. You're going to work your tail off here. And if you don't want to work, then there's no point in coming here. But you will work here harder than you have ever worked in your entire life. That was the expectation. And so when Joe gets here, you know, we talk about, well, you know, we've got to change some things in the culture. And, then, you know, again, that didn't make a lot of sense. And I think it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And so to see Nikki kind of embrace the fact that, hey, listen, look what Vic and Johnny and those guys have done, and those ladies, look at what they have done here at Mississippi State. So rather than come in and look to kind of discredit Vic Schaefer, which would be an f- unbelievable mistake, because while people are still a little bit, you know, bitter about Vic leaving, Vic Schaefer is loved in the Mississippi State family. He is. We've had some great memories together. We have shared some great times together. And so now we begin a new era. But uh, I don't think attempting to discredit the predecessor is going to curry any favor with the Mississippi State family. And so, again, to, to hear these comments to read these comments, and then to kind of get some of the backstory that, that she gets it. She gets it. She understands that uh, you all expect Mississippi State to win and win big this year. We're not going to come in here and reinvent the mousetrap. We're going to come here and play basketball. And so those things are encouraging to me, and I'm sure they are to you as well. Uh, I like what I am hearing about Nikki McCray-Pinson, and it's so funny how life works. When uh, I had somebody reach out to me, the same person that gave me the tip that Texas was at least going to kick the tires with Vic, is the same person that told me, hey, really watch Nikki McCray-Pinson. I hear Don Staley's really kind of advocating for her behind the scenes. Turns out to be a pretty good source, right? That person shared with me, and we were because of their their knowledge of the situation, we were able to put that on the, the coaching hot board the very first day as a candidate. And the more research that we did and the more information that we gathered, I think the more excited we got as a fan base. Yes, Jeff Walls would have been a home run. That that would have been like hiring, you know, you know, when when Alabama hired Nick Saban away from LSU, you know, well, I guess he went to LSU to Miami, but when he when Alabama hired Nick Saban, that's kinda that's kinda how you'd equate that. You go out and get Jeff Walls, one of the best coaches, most accomplished coaches in women's basketball today. You make a run in him, it doesn't work out. But you're left with this. You end up getting somebody that many people in the industry expect to be part of that next generation of top women's coaches in the country. And so it's encouraging. And so you know, the proof is in the pudding. But I believe we won the press conference. I believe we won the coaching search. Now, had we hired Jeff Walls, we'd have, we'd have won it, you know, going away. Four-year, $3 million deal with a base salary of $750,000 plus incentives. It's good work if you can get it. 
you know, and, and I've read some comments on Twitter and, and, you know, one of the things that I love about social media and hate about social media is that anybody can use it. And I've read some people say, well, I don't understand if they're willing to pay Jeff Walls this. And of course, all those numbers were unofficial, but they were paying Vic Shea for this. Why aren't they paying her what they were paying Vic for the same job? Well, she hadn't accomplished as much. He's, you, know, you don't start somebody where the other person left off. It just doesn't work that way. You know, Vic Schaefer had earned his way up. People forget. You want to talk about difference in salaries. Just a few years ago, we're paying Vic Schaefer $375,000 a year. And his, uh, his successor comes in is making nearly double that as an opening salary. So, so go ahead and miss me with all that fake outrage. Let's go ahead and get to today's top ten list. Kind of sticking with the women's team. I had somebody reach out at me and say, Steve, you know, I know you're a big 80s fan. You love the uh, the 80s music, and I do. I still do. I listen to it. And uh, I remember growing up listening to uh, the Dick Clark and the Casey Kasem Countdown. Eventually, it became the Shadow Stevens Countdown. You, you know, there was a lot of stuff out there that you could listen to, and that was the, that was a big part of the weekend. Sit around and listen to the radio. And I remember being a kid in Columbia, Mississippi, and that uh, once a week they'd run an ad for the little record shop in town. And if you could call the, the record store after the ad was over and name one song that was in a top 10, you could win a 45. I, I, I won one time, and I got foreigners waiting for a girl like you. That's what I got. And I got the Earth, One, and Fires, Let's Groove. We had a lot of vinyl back in those days, back before vinyl was cool. That's all we had. It wasn't cool. It was just what we had. But uh, I love 80s music. Love 80s rock the most. But uh, like everybody else, I mean, it was you know, the music you grew up with is what you always hold dear to your heart. So here is my list of 80s female pop stars. Now, let me go ahead and give you a disclaimer here. There are some ladies that are not going to be on this list because I don't believe that they're pop stars. I think some of those artists kind of transcend the genre. And to give you an example of that, here's some people that are not on my list because they're not pop stars. Tina Turner is an icon in music. Diana Ross, same, same category. Just a phenomenal artist that has had a career that has spanned decades. Debbie Harry, a blondie. Absolutely not a pop artist. One of the first rappers. Go back and listen to that. Annie Lennox, another one I don't consider a pop star. Even though the Eurythmics had some success on the top 40 charts, I, I think Annie Lennox is one of those people that, that you can't really put a label on. Joan Jett, not a pop star, certainly a rock star. I am looking forward to seeing her in August, even though I'm... I'm beginning to kind of doubt the fact that we're going to be able to see concerts this summer. And then Pat Benatar. Pat Benatar, you could make an argument for, you know, what Steve Love was about. No, it's true. But uh, I, I think Pat Benatar is a little more than a pop artist. So all of that said, here's my list of top 10 80s female pop stars. Number 10. And again, this is my list. Your list may differ. Your list would be wrong. This is my list. Number 10. Samantha Fox. Samantha Fox, that's right. few hits with her, more of an MTV hit, a British artist that uh, <clears throat> kind of pushed the envelope a little bit. She's number 10 on my list because Naughty Girl's 
need love too. Number nine on my list was Tiffany. And uh, you remember she kind of came to prominence by playing shopping malls around the country. You know, shopping malls used to be a very important part of our culture. Not so much anymore. But you used to, that's where you went to see your friends. You'd go to the mall. You'd go to Spencer Gifts. You'd go to Camelot Music. You'd go to the food court. In the infancy of shopping malls in the state of Mississippi, it seemed like Taco Bell, all of them were in shopping malls. But Tiffany was number nine for me. I think we're alone now. It's a great cover song. Number eight, and, and even though that I preferred Tiffany to number eight on the list, number eight had more hits. And so I'm going to go Debbie Gibson, number eight. My baby sister, Reagan, loved Debbie Gibson. She sold a lot of records. She was a huge hit. Number seven on my list, one an underappreciated gem of the 80s. That's Donna Summer. You can find those great videos of her on, on, on YouTube. Like She works hard for the money. Donna Summer was a phenomenal singer. I don't know that she got enough respect, to be quite honest with you. But I think that uh, I think seven's a good spot for her. I almost went a little bit higher. But she didn't have quite the commercial success as some of the people ahead of her on the list. Number six on the list, I, I, they used to really irritate me. I didn't like her initially. I thought she tried too hard to get attention. And then over the course of her career, she proved to be much more talented uh, than I expected. She was a little bit obnoxious initially, and that's Cindy Lauper. You know, girls just want to have fun. It's, uh, it's still a song that still gets played. It's still one of those uh, empowering songs. and It's cute. It's fun. But uh, True Colors and many other things came along time after time. She's a very, very talented singer. There was so much more to her than the image. That's the thing about the 80s. There were a lot of people that were short on talent and long on image. And that was my initial impression of Cindy Lauper. And that's coming from a guy that, uh, that really... You know, spend a lot of time and money with uh, Hit Parade or Magazine, Circus, and all that stuff, and watching Headbangers Balls. You know, so for the fact that I what I would say with that, I mean, this is I'm not just some random clown. Number five on the list, and she dominated the early '80s, kind of a carryover from the late '70s. Absolutely dominated the charts in the early '80s. It's Olivia Newton-John. Tremendous talent. One kind of a wide range of songs with her too. You know, she had a lot of a lot of a lot of range. I guess you could say. I don't. I don't just mean range from a vocal standpoint. It's that you know she could sing the ballads and she could sing the up tempo stuff. That um, let's get physical album. One is tremendous. Number four on the list. I have never in my life ever bought a CD, an album, a cassette. Real to real, anything of this lady's work, where she was an undeniable talent, gone far too soon. Not my cup of tea, but the fact that I could put her on this list goes to show you how much respect I have for her. Number four, Whitney Houston. Unbelievable singer. And again, you know, came up uh, the right way in many respects, you know. And uh, she was a little bit overexposed. I guess I really felt like that Whitney Houston was kind of rammed down our throats a little bit. But uh, that's the record companies, and that's MTV. But Whitney Houston, gone way too soon. Tremendous talent. And I know or I know, I got some friends of mine they are going to say, I can't believe that you put this artist ahead of Whitney. Well, you're, again, you can do what you want to with your list. But on my list, number three is Paula Abdul. Loved Paula Abdul. 
very poppy, a lot of synth pop with her, but some heavy bass lines. It was danceable stuff. She was also very, very talented. Uh, she was one of those things. She was one of those pop stars too. That you know, she was a beauty queen in addition to being a great singer and dancer. Now you know that every teenage girl and probably most of the women of the day had straight up on their tape deck. Everybody knew that song, loved that song, and uh, and she kind of rode the wave of MTV fandom. And one thing I remember too is when uh, they were shooting the video for Promise of a New Day. I remember some of the people in the media made some cracks about her body, saying that they were using some uh, video tricks to kind of conceal the fact that she put on some weight. Can you can you even begin to imagine today people being able to talk about to talk about a woman in that manner? It was wrong then. It's wrong now. And uh, the whole body shaming thing is one of those things that really drives me crazy because there's so many people out there that are dealing with things that we're not aware of. And that was one of those low points, I thought, in, in uh, music media when they're making negative comments about Paul Abdul. And Paul Abdul is beautiful, remains beautiful. Love Paul Abdul. Number two on my list, and I know that she would be number one on many, but she's number two on my list. And that's Madonna. Madonna is number two. She is an icon. Uh, I did not. I'll tell you one of the reasons I've got a little bit of a rub here, you know, with her is that uh, I really felt like that she was an agent provocateur for the sake of being an agent provocateur. If you know what I'm saying, like she did a lot of things just for attention rather than really having, you know, and I hate to sunk a Masonic motive, but the reality of it is I thought that she was kind of a fake activist at times. That's, that's my personal opinion. You may feel a bit differently. Number one on my list, to, and, to, and to me, an absolute icon. We've known her since she was Penny on Good Times, and that's Janet Jackson. I don't know, if, in my mind, if there has ever been a more influential, well-accomplished, wide-ranging, Women's performer than Janet Jackson. Uh, she can do it all. She can sing. She can dance. She can write. Um, of course, they've got a lot of people behind her, but she is uh, an absolute icon. I, I believe Janet Jackson is the most talented female singer of, of my life. And, and I mean that with as much respect as possible. There are a lot of other people on this list that are very talented, but I, to me, Jenna Jackson is without a doubt number one. And i tell you another thing, too. I mentioned Whitney Houston on this list, and it's not Whitney Houston's fault. But Motley Crue outsold Whitney Houston. Motley Crue sold more copies of Girls, Girls, Girls in one week than anybody else did. But Billboard gave Whitney Houston the number one album that week. Even though Motley Crue outsold them. And you know how I feel about Motley Crue. And so I hate to, to, to say, you know what, my personal bias might be fueled by some of that, but I'm not over it. There's a lot of things in life that people kind of cut corners on and use their own biases, which is why we make lists. You'll be number one on the charts at Campus Bookmart because uh, Campus Bookmarts, Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely talented Susie, they're going to take care of you like your family because you are family. Simple as that. You're part of the Mississippi State family. Happy to have... Stan and Man and his crew along with us for a long time now. And uh, you can do your online shopping. I know many of you are kind of getting up to date on that. You want to get out and, and buy yourself something, buy yourself the, the kids something. You know, we're getting into spring. You can do that at campusbookmart.net. 
And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Absolutely incomplete. Love the folks at Campus Bookmark. You will too. Mom, Dad, I'm going to tell you this. The kids are getting out of school soon, and it's been a tough, difficult stretch. Why not surprise them with a little gift here? Let's order them some Mississippi State clothes. Let's order them some things for their room, for just being good kids. Because the kids today are having to deal with things that none of us have ever had to deal with, ever. I'm going to I'm gonna take care of my kids, I, I promise you. That's one of the things I've already thought about, you know, this homeschooling stuff. And, you know, when, when all this is over with, I'm looking forward to spoiling my kids a little bit. And uh, you can kind of get a head start on that by visiting campusbookmart.net. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Roberts. And again, that's campusbookmart, BSR, is your promo code. Go ahead and check it out. So let's jump into this, uh, some football stuff, okay? And as I said earlier in the show, when it comes to stuff like this, if you think long, you think wrong. Because if you have to talk yourself into it, it's probably not as impactful as you think it, it, it should be. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's kind of like when you put these lists together and say, hey, who are your favorite bands? And people immediately say, oh, well, Nirvana. Well, can you name me three Nirvana songs? Well, no, they can't. But they tell you that kind of stuff because, well, this is what I'm expected to say. I'm expected to say this. So let me say that. Let me say the right thing rather than what I really feel. So here are the, just off the top of my head, here are some of the best high school football games that I have ever seen. And there were stars in all of them. One of the most memorable ones is the Knoxville County game in Macon when they hosted Stark Bowl. It was A.J. Brown's senior year. It was Jeff Simmons' senior year. Jeff Simmons had like 18 tackles in the game, blocked an extra point, and uh, they went in the game in overtime. Jeff was everywhere. A.J. Brown was phenomenal. I thought it was one of the best games that A.J. ever played at Starkville High School, and that's saying an awful lot. Kobe Jones is on that Starkville team. It was an absolutely loaded team, and if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, both of them ended up winning the state championship that year in their respective classifications. But that ball game was so back and forth and so incredibly emotional, I don't know that I will ever forget it. I interviewed Jeff Simmons after the game. He balls. Absolutely balls. And he talked about his sister having a baby die and how he was dedicating that performance to his nephew. And uh, I don't know that I will ever forget that. And I know what it meant. That's the ball game too, where A.J. Brown accused uh, Jeff of stepping on him purposely. I don't know if that was the case or not. But, you know, it's difficult to see everything that happens on a football field. But it's a huge rivalry game. And uh, it was one that, I, that the stars really shone bright. And that's what you want to see when you're evaluating players is the best players have big games. A lot of times you go out and uh, you know, the best player doesn't do much. But in this, on this night, that night, all of the stars played incredibly well. Another game that you guys might not be quite as familiar with, I had a chance to see Leonard Fournette play when he was at St. Aug against Archbishop Shaw when I was there to see Ryan Brown play. And Fournette, I guess, was a sophomore, and Brian, uh, Brown was a senior. I believe that's correct. And uh, Leonard Fournette, of course, had led the nation in rushing as a freshman at St. Aug. And uh, on this day, 
They had him bottled up most of the night, and just before the half, Fournette gets loose and runs for like a 60-yard touchdown, and then the St. Aug defense kind of took over, and uh, they just simply couldn't get it together. The, the Archbishop Shaw offense just was really no match for the number of athletes that St. Aug had. It was a very important game. Uh, it was one of those things, too. Ryan Brown's coach was so emotional after the game, he would only let me take Ryan's picture. I couldn't even I couldn't interview him because he said, you know, after losing a ball game like that, I don't think anybody deserves any press. I respect it. Uh, I think it's a little bit silly, but, uh, you know, I, I respect coaches and their decisions. But uh, I had a chance to catch up with Ryan later in the weekend. But uh, it's two guys that ended up going to the NFL. I had a chance to see DeAndre Brown play several times. And I will, I will share with, right now, in all the years that I have covered high school sports, in all the years that I have covered recruiting, I have never been around a more talented offensive player in the state of Mississippi than DeAndre Brown. Without question, he was an absolute freak. He was the number three receiver in the country that year behind A.J. Green and Julio Jones. That's the company he was in. There was some discussion of who's the top receiver in the country. He was in that discussion. His senior year, they didn't have a quarterback that could consistently get him to football, so they put him at running back. This is a guy that's six four and a half, six five out there just, just to get him the football and let him play. And I remember the very first time that I saw him play, so many people said, hey, Steve, have you seen the receiver at Ocean Springs? And I had not heard about him several times. And I went down there to see him. And the very first time that I saw him, it just it was he was a star. Just the way he carried himself. He was so graceful in everything he did. And he was always very gracious for the attention that he got. And I was able to get him invited to the Scout Combine in New Orleans, the Saints practice facility. And he never, ever, ever forgot that. And was so incredibly grateful. And this is a guy that already had, you know, 20 offers. And uh, that's when Scout.com was the official selection partner of the U.S. Army game. And he comes there that day in front of Scott Kennedy and Jamie Newberg and played his way into the U.S. Army game. I remember he was catching everything. And Scott Kennedy turned to Jamie Newberg and says, how is this kid not in our top 100? And so that's, again, I respect DeAndre because he had nothing to prove that day. He had nothing to prove to anybody, but he came out and competed anyway and then elevated his status as a college football prospect. And he ultimately signs on with Southern Miss and Tony Hughes, which is a huge surprise. But had, had there not been a coaching change at Ole Miss, he was going to Ole Miss. That's one thing that people don't know. That's what was going to happen. But DeAndre Brown, I saw him play against, uh, it was Gauthier, seen him a couple times against St. Martin. But uh, he was, without a doubt, the best offensive player I've ever seen in the state of Mississippi as, as, as a professional. I did get to see Marcus Dupree play when I was a kid, even though I barely remember it. What I remember the most about that Marcus Dupree game is that uh, he never got tackled the whole game. And there were some people sitting next to us that were, had driven up to watch the game. And they were from, uh, from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. They didn't even have a kid at the game. They had nothing to cheer for. They just wanted to come see the legend of Marcus Dupree. It was a different day and time back then. It, just, it was. It was a different day and time. Had a chance to watch uh, Olive Branch against MUS. And uh, that's the Barry Bernetti MUS team. That's when uh, Dan Mullen and Mississippi State were all over Barry Bernetti. And I uh, still think he uh, would have done a good job here at Mississippi State. Sean Coleman, Damian Robinson were on the team for Olive Branch. They had two SEC offensive tackles out there. Just couldn't put it together offensively. But it was one of those games, too, where everybody that played that you went to see 
played up to their potential. MUS wins the game late, and uh, it's what, here's a couple things that I remember about that game. Is when the game was over, uh, Coach Olive Branch wouldn't let me take pictures of his kids. Never forgot that. And uh, get ready to leave, and uh, the wife has parked the vehicle in some mud, and we had to get a record to pull us out. So he, he, despite the fact we went all the way up there, got an interview with Barry Bernetti, didn't get anything from Olive Branch kids, and uh, then had to pay a tow truck to get out of there. So it was a miserable experience, but the ball game was great. The next day I went over to Nashville and watched Mississippi State beat Vanderbilt. I had a chance uh, in Louisiana to go see Josh Robinson and Terrence McGee when they were Franklin and High School. I went and saw them in practice. It was incredible to see how regimented and organized things were at practice at Franklin High School. Absolutely incredible. It's so many kids out there, I couldn't believe it. But what else is there to do at Franklin other than go to the Washington Parish Fair? I went back a couple weeks later and watched them play on a Thursday night against Salmon. The game was such a big deal. They had it on television. It was on cable access. But there were so many people there, they had to set up temporary barricades on the sidelines and in the end zone because there wasn't enough room for everybody to sit. It was unbelievable how many people were at that game. And Josh Robinson and Terrence um, McGee find a way, even though being down about nine points in the final four minutes, they found a way to come back and win the game. And they probably should have won a state championship that year. They got upset in the playoffs. But it was one of those nights that I'll never forget, just because it is what small-town football is about. Everybody in the community turned out for that game. It's a huge rivalry game. And even though they put it on television, people wanted to be there to take part, to cheer for their team. I didn't think I was ever going to get home. I thought I was going to spend a night on the side of the road getting out of there because it, it took forever to clean the parking lot out. It was incredible, the amount of response. And it's one of those things that is good about America. That's one of the things, and if, if you've seen the, uh, the SEC uh, Saturdays in the South thing, Coach Curry, Coach Bill Curry talked about, you know, speaking to a gas station attendant in rural Alabama, you know, about how important high school football is to communities. It's because that's where we huddle as a community. And he's right. We can get out there and put our differences aside, put our political problems behind us, our socioeconomic disparities, and we can go cheer for our kids. That's one of the things I love about high school sports. And as a former high school baseball coach, let me share with you this. You, you want to be involved in something that's worthwhile. You want to do something that's big time. Not just for kids, not just for your school, but for your community. Get involved with your high school booster club. Get involved with your high school football or baseball booster club. You want to give some money. A lot of people that give money to other stuff and whatever. You know, listen, I don't know where that money goes. But I can tell you as a high school, former high school baseball coach, I spend a lot of my own money buying red clay, buying kitty litter, to try to pass it off as Diamond Pro do the best I could, and there are a lot of those coaches out there that are, that are making a difference in young people's lives that don't have the resources they probably need. And so if you really want to help, whether you have a kid playing or not, make a donation to your high school booster club for football, baseball, whatever, whatever there is, because there are young people out there that deserve to have a good experience, and without sports, Many of these kids don't have anything to kind of teach them structure. And I'm speaking from the voice of experience. 
And I don't want to preach too much for you guys today, but I'll tell you, I had a guy that I worked for named Coach Paul Greer. And I was the hidden coach, and he was the head coach. And, and uh, there was a kid I wanted to run off. I was like, I'm so sick of this kid. We'll run him off. He goes, okay, coach, if you want to run him off, that's fine. Go run him off. He goes, but let me ask you this. How are we going to make a difference in his life if he's not out here practice every day? How are we going to minister to this kid? How are we going to – he goes, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed, not a lot of daddies around here. When we get ready to play ball game, there ain't a whole lot of daddies showing up. And I tell you, looking back on it, I wish that I had some of those little league dads to deal with. Those kids deserved it. And so the role that the high school coach in every sport plays in your community is undervalued. So whenever you can, maybe give some money to the high school booster club and help those coaches make a difference in the lives of young people in your community. I can promise you that money's going to be well spent. But I said the final game and probably, probably the most important high school game that I've ever attended was when Meridian beat South Panola. I interviewed Tyler Russell about that last week, and you can read that article on Gene's page. You can still find it. But when Meridian beat South Panola to end the streak, South Panola had, what, 93 games in a row? They were an absolute machine. And there were a lot of people that year that thought, you know what, Tupelo might be able to get them. You know, that was the Tupelo team with, with Chris Garrett and Chad Bumpus and Gary and Hurd, uh, you know, Justin Bean, they were a machine too. And they should have beat South Panola in the regular season. And a lot of people said, you know what, South Panola might be a little bit vulnerable. And Tupelo went down. Tupelo got upset. And Meridian went through, and people thought, well, Oak Grove will pick off Meridian. Oak Grove was a year behind Meridian. You know, the, the next year was the Robert Johnson, Jay Hughes year when they won the South State Championship. But Meridian did it, and it was almost a surreal moment. Watching that happen because South Panola had been so dominant. But from the opening drive, you could tell Meridian was not intimidated by South Panola. Tyler Russell spoke about that. He goes, one of the main reasons why is because they played them in a jamboree and they beat them 7 nothing. He goes, you know, jamboree's a jamboree. But at 17 years of age, they knew that their first-team offense had gone down the field and scored against the South Panola first-team defense. And whether that meant a whole lot in the grand scheme of things, it meant a lot to Meridian High School. It meant a lot to those seniors. said, you know what, we can compete with these guys. By the time the two teams got together, I think most people around it said, you know what, Meridian's really got a shot. But in the back of our minds, I think we're all thinking, would the officials let them do it? And, and I hate to say it that way because there are a lot of great officials out there who do a good job. But you knew that Meridian wasn't going to get any calls. There wasn't an official around. He wants to make the call that ends the streak for South Panola and has to live with that. And if you don't think we remember officials, remember Dick Pace, right? The 1981 Egg Bowl. We'll never forget that. But Tyler Russell and them did it. And I remember there was a guy next to me. I sat in the stands, had my kid with me and had some friends, and we all wanted to go watch Tyler and Chris play and Hemp Glover and those guys. And I loved that team. I mean, there were so many good kids on that team. Larry Weems and his staff did a tremendous job building a culture there. And so they were an easy team to root for. And on, on that last play, they're in overtime. And uh, South Panola's, you know, taking their shot, try to tie a ball game. And the guy next to me, complete stranger to me, he says, the referees are going to call pass interference on Meridian right here. And I, and I was like, you think? He goes, I'm just telling you, they're not going to let us win the game. 
And so South Penola gets out there, and they're getting ready to throw the pass, kind of a Hail Mary pass in the end zone because there had been a sack to play before, and they were kind of backed up behind the chains. And the South Penola quarterback throws it up, was going to throw it up for grabs. And right as he got ready to plant, Jacoby Eason dove, younger brother of Cordero Eason that went on to Ole Miss. And he got just enough of the South Penola quarterback's foot he didn't get the pass off. And he was tackled for a sack, and the game ended. And the man next to me burst into tears, absolutely burst into tears. And he said, that's the only way they were going to let us win. And uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's one of those things, too. It just reminds you how much it all matters to communities. It matters. And this is a guy here. I don't know if he had a kid on the team or he was just some Meridian High School alum or, or just a guy from Meridian that wanted to go see the, the kids play for a state championship. But I don't know. But I know that he was emotionally invested in that game. And it was difficult when all that happened. I, I remember Winky Glover and, and how excited they all were. And, and uh, Winky Glover, longtime Mississippi State fan. And it was it was one of those things, too, because, you know, South Panola had kind of been a breeding ground for Ole Miss players because of the fact that you had so many Mississippi State kids on that Meridian team, even some kids that came to the state just as students that weren't, weren't talented enough to play beyond the high school level. But it felt like a Mississippi State-Ole Miss game. It was State versus Ole Miss. You know, Ole Miss had some commitments on the South Panola team. We had commitments on the Mississippi State team. And that's how it felt. It felt like this is State and Ole Miss. This is the future of State and Ole Miss. And in many respects, it was. You know, Meridian and Tyler Russell and Chris Smith win the game. And then Mississippi State began to ascend. Ole Miss began to kind of fall off. And uh, those are the things that I look back, and, and I'm so glad to say, you know what, I was there. And I tell you, I was uh, <clears throat> Billy Weems, Larry's brother, friend of mine, longtime friend of mine, been a great resource for me over the years. Billy's not helping coach football anymore, but he used to. I could call Billy and I'd say, "Hey, tell me about kids that you guys have played against that are good." That's one of the best things about our industry is you make these longtime relationships with high school coaches, and there are so many of them out there that will speak objectively about other teams' players. And you learn to trust those guys. And Billy Wings is one of those guys I have always trusted his opinion. It's a hell of a tell. Listen, you guys have played against this school and that school. What what have you seen? What tell me about the kids at Waynesboro? And I, he never ever ever uttered a negative word about a player, his or anybody else's. And he was always so appreciative for the commitment and time and driving up for Baton Rouge. And uh, I went to watch Meridian play one night, and uh, and Meridian wins the ball game. And uh, after the game was over, Billy Weems comes up to me. And I got my oldest son with me, Ani. And uh, he hands me and Ani both a Meridian High School blue and white baseball cap that just has cats on the front. And it's signed by Tyler Russell and Chris Smith. And they were just high school guys. But it is one of the things that I absolutely treasure. It is, I, I've got a, 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 <clears throat> a hook in my office. I'm sitting looking at it right now. And it's got every lanyard that I've ever collected over the years. I, I'm one of those people. I keep them all. But along at the top of that hook is my Meridian High School cap signed by Tyler Russell and Chris Smith. And little did I know then, they would ultimately go on to win the greatest high school football game in Mississippi history. And so those are the memories that mean a lot to me. And, uh, and I love going out and covering high school football because I always remember how much it matters. I'm always reminded you know, it's not really a big deal 
you know, for me to go to a high school football game every Friday night. It's 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 not a big deal. I've done it so for so many years. Yeah, and and I, I don't go as often as I as I, I used to. But here's the thing that I remember. Every time that I go out there, I remember how much it matters to those kids. I remember how much it matters to those players that are just trying to get up the ladder of awareness. They're just trying to get a little of exposure. And the job that we do, we're able to shine a light a little bit on their talent. And that's the thing that keeps you going. Every time that I think, man, I got a high school football man, it's such a grind 15 straight weeks. And then I get out there and I'm wearing that scout.com shirt, 247 sports short now. And people see that and automatically they identify with, oh man, this is great. 247 is here. It's not about me. It's about their opportunity. It's about the job that we do. And it's not something that I never take for granted. I never take for granted the chance I might see something magical. I might see somebody do something I've never seen before. I might see a future Mississippi State defensive lineman have 18 tackles in a ball game against Starkville High School and then go on to the National Football League. So when you ask me, you know, what, what are my favorite games? They're all my favorite games. I love them all. But those are the ones that mean the most to me. Those are the ones that I remember. But I'll tell you, I've never been to a high school football game and ever and ever left feeling worse than when I got there. Went to Amit County High School one time to see Gabe Jackson play. Uh, it was, uh, I don't even think they had cell service out there. It was so bad. I sat on top of the press box and uh, I was afraid it was going to cave in. And Tower Town absolutely tore, tore Amit County apart. And after the ball game was over, I went and asked about the quarterback. I said, tell me about the quarterback. He's pretty talented. I know he won't play quarterback on the next level. And he goes, yeah, I don't know. He's a little bit too small. I don't know if he's going to play on the next level. Kid turned out to be Jamie on Lewis. And so I've got memories. When people say, hey, Steve, you got stories, I got them. I tell you what, they're written on my heart. And uh, when you get a chance to get out and go support these kids again, I hope that you do. I hope that high school football and high school sports in general will kind of begin to be reignited after all the things that we have dealt with, with this COVID-19 epidemic or, you know, virus, global pandemic. My hope is, is that we will see a rekindling of support for our high school athletes. That's my hope for you today, is you will buy into that and invest in Mississippi high school athletics. And if you don't live here, do it in your local community. I can assure you there's a coach out there who's trying to figure out right now we got to get that Netflix this year behind the, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, behind the plate. And I don't know if we're going to have the money to do it. I can tell you, there are some guys out there that are working hard for your kids and for the kids in your neighborhood and the kids in your community that don't have the resources they need to do the job they want to do. So please, please, please support them. I'm to remind you, if you hadn't done so, go to StarkVillainsTheBook.com. You can order Flim Flam. You can order Stark Villains. And as a matter of fact, submitted the first chapter of the new book yesterday. I'll write the second chapter tomorrow. We're getting going. And uh, interviewed Wes Shivers about all that, about his experiences. And he has some incredible things to say about that fight before the 97 Egg Bowl in Stark Bowl. You guys will want to read that. Looking forward to you guys having these stories in your hands. You can find your Stark Villains gear at StarkVillains.com. And uh, we'll get together and have a good time sooner rather than later. That's going to do it for today's show. I'll be back on Friday. You never know what we're going to talk about. If you have a suggestion for the top 10 list, feel free to reach out to me and let me know. I'll do my best to get to them all. It's difficult. Sometimes I just don't have the uh, 
you know, enough knowledge about a topic to do it. Some people have said, Steve, will you talk a little more about this? That, you know, sometimes I can't. You know, if I can't do a good job with it, I won't. But uh, please send me your suggestions. I enjoy corresponding with all you guys. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.